You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. So our hope for this interview is to wrestle a bit with how to take the opportunity of Advent to descend from our heads into our hearts. Uh, we want to have a conversation in this meeting. This meeting was founded upon dialogue. Circle of Hope is all about dialogue. We think that it's the dialogue of love at the center of us that protects our gravity, that makes us anything at all, uh, rather than a bunch of uh, propositional beliefs. We agree about a lot of things, but only because we've come to that agreement through dialogue. Nothing's a given. And people come in from a lot of different places and we're able to include them because we're good at dialogue. Um, so that's the idea for dialogue. But like I said, the, the goal for this dialogue that Pat and I want to get you started on is to, to talk about Advent a little bit and Pat's experience with it. I'm going to interview him. Uh, but before we do that, I think we should just spend another moment on practicing bowing our heads to our hearts a little bit. I think that when you bow your head in prayer, that's what you're doing. You're bowing your head down into your heart, trying to be one breathing, living, heart-having, spiritual, body-having thing that is a human being. So just be centered, whatever it is that helps you to um, be still and peaceful in God's presence because we believe that God is here. We believe that God is present because Jesus came and ransomed captive Israel and we've been included in that body and now can participate in God's presence. So I'm going to give it a minute to just be still and breathe and hopefully you can do that with us. Thank you for doing that with me. So, Patrick McGowan, yes. if I were to describe you, oh boy. it would begin with the word thoughtful, um, earnest, moving towards cerebral. And cerebral is a more loaded term. Thoughtful and earnest are just 100% um, compliments, I hope. Uh, cerebral has its pitfalls. I'm sure earnest does, too. But... When I get to cerebral, you know, I'm, I'm getting to speaking a little bit of truth and love because you think through things. You, like your, your, your thought process is robust and you get into the things that you're into with a lot of um, depth. Like you explore. This guy doesn't play around, y'all. He, he's serious and he goes after it and he thinks about it and he reads about it and listens to things about it. He likes to watch YouTube for like cerebral stuff. Like he, he, he doesn't watch fail videos on YouTube. He watches lectures and stuff. Um, Thank you, Pat. Yeah. So I can imagine for you then that cerebral um, nature that you have could be a bit of an obstacle when it comes to this very bodily season of Advent. What do you think of my insight so far? That's pretty good, Pat. Um, 
Well, Advent's kind of a new concept for me. Um, I didn't know much about Advent a few years ago. Um, I knew that there was an Advent calendar. My mom had one of those. <laughs> I thought that was kind of neat. For like there was candy in it? There was candy, or there was like Bible verses, you know, December 3rd or something. There's Psalm 10. Yeah, my kids have one from Ikea that's just capped down to Christmas 25 days, so it's kind of a bastardized version, okay. and it has chocolate in it, but they can't eat the chocolate until I read them the scripture from the daily prayer that day. I like it. So today I had to read them the whole genealogy of Jesus and Matthew before they could eat their uh, yeah. chocolate. They hated me for it. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Well, um, definitely, uh, I do get lost in my head a lot, and I get bored easily. Hmm. And um, uh, growing up, I, I'm by no means a master of, that, of Advent, um, but I, I'm a master of my own experience. <laughs> so I can speak from that largely anecdotal. But I think well, that's what we're going for. Yeah, we want to hear right. your experience of like that. That's why I, I chose this yeah. this kind of topic is because I know that it was a new thing for you. Because tell us why was it new? You grew up in like a Baptist church, kind right? Of, yeah, so I bounced around a lot in a in a lot of like uh, what they, I guess they would call uh, uh, Protestant churches. You know, um, did some Lutheran stuff. Um, never got too close to the Catholics. You know. Oh, Lutherans are really close though. I well, mean, they did Advent. Like, <laughs> I guess that was as close as I got, and we didn't really go very long with the with the Lutherans. It was mostly the non-denominational churches. Non-denominationals, the non-denoms, and a couple Bible Baptists. You know that was my, largely my experience, and my um, so they and I, I don't want to trash those people at all because they're great, but Advent didn't really wasn't really something that was celebrated too much, um, nor was Lent. You know we talk about these these like long seasons of things. You know it was yeah. Why is it that I mean. It seems to me that in those non-denominational kind of Pentecostal leading places, mm -hmm. there's a real anti-Catholic streak. There is, yeah. Well, I don't um, know the answer to that. Maybe you guys can answer it too. There's a there's a real adherence to the, to scripture. Um, not that the Catholics uh, don't have that, but there's like scripture is uh, the really tr tradition isn't really even very close, I think, to scripture. You know, in, in their estimation, yeah. yeah. So the Catholics might be, they might have scripture and tradition pretty close, and uh, Bible Baptist Church might have scripture way up here, which is great, uh, but tradition might be real, real low. I think you just hit the nail on the head. Okay. You're absolutely right. No. It's that, and, and so Lent and Advent aren't in the Bible, so we ain't doing it. Right, right. So I remember being in my late, late teens, early 20s, and, and you know, reading stuff and kind of coming into my own, I guess, starting to, and felt, get, got getting bored a lot in church, you know, just get, like bored, you know, um, and I'm kind of a creative person and I, and I need, I, I need, uh, I really like mystery and ancient things, you know, like I kind of need something like, like that, and I felt like, uh, like, like aliens building the pyramids, like, right? <laughs> he got into that. I'm, I'm, I'm putting him on blast. He yeah, likes that I'm stuff. Trying to, I'm, I'm trying to leave that in my head. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I enjoy that about you. That's one of my favorite anecdotes. Uh, I like imagination. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I, um, in those kinds of churches, um, I don't want to broadly generalize, but in my experiences, um, the, the imagination was sort of 
not not entirely sure how what to do with with, with the imagination because scripture is it, you know, like that's it. Nothing. We're not. We don't. We can't add to it. We don't. Not that I think we ought to add to it, but that's it. If it's not, if, if we can't find it somewhere in here that's very literal and specific, then we probably shouldn't think about it. Yeah, we won't add to scripture, but the but we might add to our practice, and and I think that's the that's the line they're walking. They 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 think that. Scripture is really enough, and they're probably right. I, yeah, I mean, I love Scripture. I think Scripture is awesome, and I think you can you can use your imagination to read Scripture, and you can you can spend the rest of your life trying to imagine Scripture, you know, getting deep, uh, digging, diving into it, and learning, learning, learning. Um, but I was uh, I didn't. It took me a while to to see that. You know, it took me a while to get into that. So I, in my early twenties, I kind of just sort of got real bored with church and got uh stopped going you know i felt like this is, this is it this is kind of it okay well it's cool i love jesus jesus is great but maybe uh maybe i'll come back to this at some point i need something i need something else so i was i kind of went into the world to find something else did you find anything uh i found a lot of stuff did you find stuff that engaged that kind of imaginative thoughtful curiosity sure. better than the church did uh, I did for a little while, but it was very, it was like eggnog, right? It's Christmas time. So it was like eggnog, tasted great at first, but if I had like two glasses of it, I got sick. <laughs> <laughs> like very sick. It, there's a sickness to, to it, you know? Um, and so not, not to make like a, an outrageous Circle of Hope sales pitch, but when I, when I discovered Circle of Hope, um, uh, I found this church that, that wasn't a Catholic church, um, that was taught was teaching about uh, tradition, um, and 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 uh, had some things to say about scripture and about uh, the history of Christianity that I thought was really fascinating. Some of which I'd never heard before, and so this whole this whole new thing opened up to me. This whole new approach opened up to me of um, devotion and spiritual disciplines and learning church history and learning some of these really beautiful ancient traditions like Advent and Lent and ways to, as, as Ben said, curb the, the, the tendency for someone like me to get so stuck up here and start to engage um, maybe the other side of, the, of my preferences, you know, and, and do something, do a devotion where my devotions were before were like I'm just going to read the Bible and, and find something that I want to read, and try to spend some time with that, you know, as opposed to I'm going to follow this lectionary, or I'm going to read from the Common Prayer and I'm going to see what Scripture is for today, or what 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 prayer is for today, right? Common prayers those aren't those prayers aren't necessarily in the Bible. They're certainly informed by Scripture greatly, but to see maybe God would be would, would use something like that uh, to speak to me in a way that I would never have found if I was like woke up in the morning and thought I'm going to read John today, you know, um, to be a part of this kind of discipline, um, uh, spiritual discipline was totally new for me. It was completely I didn't even know it existed, and it was like I found it was like Christianity became like uh, you ever see Wizard of Oz. Like this is like they, I think they play around this time of year, and you, you know, like when Dorothy opens the door after the tornado, and then everything's in color. 
<laughs> and uh, for me, it was discovering some of this, this like uh, all this ancient, beautiful Christian tradition. It's some of it's flawed for sure, but um, so much of it is beautiful and deep. It was. It, it, I found that it was no longer the eggnog. You know, it was more like ambrosia. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It, it. It didn't make me sick. It actually made me. It made me better. I got. I think I, I started to get better. Yeah. So that's the thing is that. Um, I mean, what it sounds like is not, it's not, I'm not also a, a, a movement from head to heart or like a full, a more fully embodied, imaginative faith. That's some of the stuff you said, but it's also a participation in a community of faith mm-hmm. that's just so much bigger than our own experience. Yeah. And that was interesting. I, you know, uh, in the churches I've been a part of, um, uh, there was the idea of community, but it wasn't quite like this, but I also liked. Uh, it's something that Scott would, would, would say to me a lot that was really interesting, was we're part of this great cloud of witnesses, uh, of, uh, of saints. Believers. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not just what's happening right now, but what's, what's happened over the past 2,000 years. And we have all of these writings and all these people and their experiences and to participate in that. For someone, for a creative person like me, that was like, oh, yeah. Give me that. I, I'll take as much of that as I can get. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot the lighter. I didn't know we had a lighter. We have a lighter. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna light the reef. Are you are, are any are, are you guys doing anything for Advent? Are you is there any? Wait 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 no this is a little ceremony just okay. a second. Mm-hmm. So what we got? Thanks for dead air. No just happy dead air. This is <laughs> the prophet's candle. Enjoyed. This is John the Baptizer's candle. This is this week's candle for Mary. The traditional Advent people in a wreath that we have put on a baby's mobile because we're kind of playing with the idea that Jesus is our baby being born. We're preparing but we're kind of reverse preparing with this nursery. Um, it, it had a lot more stuff, and each week it's getting stripped away. Less stuff, less stuff that separates us between what is supposedly ready for Jesus, because all we really need to be ready for Jesus is our naked human experience. So that's the symbolism of this. It's one of the things that I love about Advent is the, um, the opportunity to make and do some art to find ways to connect the story in new ways. And so one of the things is we, we take this, this season of Advent where, you know, people have done it with liturgies, they've done it with the right color robes and candles, and we also get to play with it uh, in Circle of Hope. I'm, I'm sure many other churches play with these old rhythms too. But I like, I like to play. I like the freedom that, that it gives me to participate in this intensity of a season, preparing for, for Jesus' birth in a very needed alternative to what the culture is doing. Play is interesting. I, um, I'm a serious guy, so play is a little tricky for me. I like to play music, but even that's very serious. So... Play is good, but I'm still 
I'm working with that one because for me, um, as I get older, maybe some of you can feel this. As I get older, I feel I, I kind of look around the world, I look around at my family, and I feel I see it's scared, and I feel lost, and I feel vulnerable, and I don't know what if up is up or if left is left or black is black or whatever, you know. Every, everything's called in question and everything is uncertain uh, or everything's pointless or, you know, whatever. And um, so for things, for me, things like Advent are, I can hold on to so I can connect to something that's old and have, and have roots and has survived some time. You know, everything feels very temporal, very immediate. You, you were talking last week about artificial, you know, it feels like it's chemically created. It's, it might just be passing in the wind, you know? But we've got, the Christian tradition has some roots. I didn't know we had roots. I went back like as far as the Puritans. You know, <laughs> you know, like uh, that was as old as I knew about the Christian tradition, you know? Um, and it, 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 it goes way deeper than that. So that's been great for me to, um, I feel like I can tether myself to something, you know? And uh, I feel like I, I have some footing. There's that, there's that old hymn um, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You know, and I see like, so I feel a lot of sinking sand. But that hymn is, is only like 150 years old. Yeah, well, did I say oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel is like 1300 years old. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. a good one. I think it's from the 7th century. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So does it mess with you then when we when we play and we, we, we make this ancient old thing a little novel? And yeah. do, do art with it? Yeah, it does. But um, it's good. That's another that's another thing that has been beneficial reading and being a part of uh, this uh, tradition is uh, I get challenged. I don't get to just sort of stay in my find my lane and just don't stay here and I'm just going to read these books because they're making me comfortable and I'll listen to these pastors because they're making me comfortable and, and it just reinforces what I, what I already agree with. Uh, that's okay. It's all right to do that. But uh, I get pushed a lot and I get challenged um, and I usually grow. And I think uh, I think God works that way. I, don't think, I think God is pushing us. I got this little, I hang out with this two-year-old baby all, all day long and he's just it's just you know it's like from the minute he wakes up to minute just and just some, that, sometimes yeah. the, sometimes the spirit's like that sometimes god is it feels like you know you're come on it's nothing with you yeah oh. so when you're getting okay so one one opportunity for to be pushed is maybe some of the aesthetic of of how we do things, it's not your like lane or whatever. Mm. Um, but it sounds, you know, like your seriousness, the way that you engage your faith is often like us, like the way that you are. You know, you do it in a serious, cerebral way. I want to read a book instead of yeah, yeah. Instead of what, like what, what, what are some things that like, um, maybe you participated in the Circle of Hope or elsewhere that have kind of pushed you into other realms of expression of your faith? Yeah, well, I mean, lighting a candle. I lit, before I would light candles because they look cool and they smell good usually. But the idea of lighting a candle and saying, "No, we're gonna. This is a symbol for the Holy Spirit, and we're gonna believe that the Holy Spirit's here right now, symbolized by that flame." 
That's that took a few years for that to have any kind of power. Now it's got some serious power for me. You know, that's a that's that's not just a thing. That's a that's a seriously powerful thing. And I I wasn't ready for any of that. I thought that was that kind of thing was kind of silly. You know. Yeah, because I I think they need what you, even like because some people are not wired the way that you are. Sure. And I'm sorry for that's making thing. you sound like a machine. That's a good thing. Um, but but. I think it's a universal human need to have some visceral connection. We need to see it. We need to act it out Mm -hmm. for it to have a reality that is whole enough Mm -hmm. to impact us and then sustain us through the radical transformation that Jesus demands of us. Mm -hmm. So we we need to get together and sing songs. We need to get together and light candles to make art, to tell stories and show in as many ways as possible what God is doing because it's it's beyond our easy communication. Every every word about God is a metaphor. You know? And so we we create lots of different metaphors because we're, it's more like a collage because we know that everyone is incomplete. And so we're on the hunt for things throughout history. It's, and, and, and I think we can just trust the ancestors because they did it. Mm-hmm. And it was so useful. You know, now, it's, now it has the, the energy of that cloud of witnesses behind it so that like, we can trust it because the Holy Spirit has been using it. Mm-hmm. The Bible's the same way. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit blessed the Bible, this book written by human beings relating to God, and, and the Holy Spirit inhabited it and, and blessed it and made it into something much more than the, than the authors could have had it be. And so it has this power. And I think that tradition functions the same way. Of course, there have been evil people you know, leading the tradition at times, but there's always been this true expression of people that are on the same kind of hunt to make the collage. No, this is what I think God's really like. This is the experience I'm having on the inside, and I need to tell you about it in new ways. Yeah, that was that was a, a new lesson that I learned as a, a, a being a part of this with you guys was how to read the Bible. Because like the tradition, seeing the value of the tradition helped show me that uh, to read the Bible like a mosaic. You see those like um, you see those like uh, John Lennon posters and they're like made up of little pictures of John Lennon. <laughs> so meta and so John Lennon by and the way. And they're cool, he right? They're cool. But the but the to read the Bible now with this um, uh, growing understanding of the of the traditions and the things that have kind of spun off through it all, it you start to see that reading the Bible is you is this giant mosaic of the of, of the nature of God, who God is and what God looks like. You get this picture, this big mosaic picture of God. And uh, you can read it real literally, and that's great, but you can also read it as this big mosaic and see this giant picture. I think Jesus does that a lot. You know, he seems to have this big picture of the nature of God. So that was, that was a new thing for me, and, and that helped me dive back into Scripture. I kind of, like, I kind of felt like, for a while, Scripture's kind of boring, and I've heard it all a bunch, and no one reads the Old Testament, and... Paul is kind of weird, so I'm going to go 
watch Monty Python or something. But now, uh, this this mosaic, I can kind of go back and see these these glimpses of um, uh, of God's nature just sort of blindingly coming out in his his, uh, his grace and bigness, and but also his uh, his his seriousness and and uh, um, uh, his demand. You know, uh, it's interesting. So, uh, and then seeing how all of that, how people have interpreted it over the years, you know, and how that spun this and that spun that. And um, there are little kernels of the mosaic is in there too, you know. Uh, and the safety net that we have is that the Holy Spirit is actually real and, and convicting us. So if we get it wrong, you know, if, if one of our, our plays or our metaphors or our little glass pieces of the mosaic is wrong yeah. or not quite right enough, we'll, we'll, we'll hear about it. Yeah, that was the thing that, that well, that's something that maybe this is like mid-30s. This is classic mid-30s stuff. I'm 35. Like that's so. the age of, yeah. of, of development? But like for me, certainty, letting go of certainty, letting go of like, that's correct teaching. You know, letting go of that, uh, opening up to the possibility of mystery and uncertainty, uh, that's a new thing for me. And that has really um, taught me how to, how to trust the, the Holy Spirit, you know. Yeah. I might get some of this wrong, but uh, the Spirit is going to, is, I can trust the Spirit. I can trust the Spirit. I don't need to have the certain, definite Thing. Not to throw certainty totally out. On uh, on Wednesday, we're going to have worship relief here in this space for Advent. Uh, this worship experience that we've designed for getting that, that kind of touch from God during Advent. Uh, a real palpable sense of God with us during the Emmanuel, God with yeah. us season. And one of the songs that we will sing, my friend Angie wrote, and the end of the first line, or the first stanza is... For those who cannot find a way to carry heavy loads, mystery sets you free yeah. and saves you from the cold. And mystery is like Jesus being born as a human being. It's it's a paradox. It's not. It, it could feel um, not so safe at times or not so freeing. But you're you're understanding that more. It sounds like. Uh, yeah, I mean the, that idea of uh, mystery. People say those are mystics mystical uh, and I would think whenever I would hear that I would think oh come on guys mystics really but now I uh, whoa give me some of that mystics and <laughs> I'll read I, I read Paul and Paul's Paul's a mystic totally a mystic you know and I miss all that stuff and it's so fun to go back it's actually okay so it's fun I can play a little bit it's fun to to go back and uh, um see it and, and see how uh, God is constantly surprising us and, and, and that's like that's the thing that I keep that, that's a tether for me is Jesus's nature when I'm reading God the Gospels and the Pharisees and the, the scholars and the teachers I, I identify with them you know because I probably would have been like that too I, I probably would have been like well but Romans says what do you mean you know <laughs> But Hezekiah says, is that a, I don't even know. You got it. He's a good, so, he's a good king. But, and, and that's proof that that's the way God works. Those people were the ones who, would have, who should have known, in theory. They should have known. But God surprised us all, you know?
So for me, there's still an answer to that certainty is, okay, well, yeah, maybe, but God surprises us. So, well, I'm not so sure that it's going to go that way. I'm okay with that. I'm glad to hear that. Let's open it up for a little bit here. Um, Does anyone want to share about their experience with Advent or how they um, came to learn about it? You know, maybe you were exposed to it as a real little kid. Maybe you grew up in that experience. Or maybe you want to tell us about what's happening this Advent. You know, it's just a few of us here. Let's, um, Let's round out the conversation. Or maybe you have a question or a response to something that Pat or I said. That's fine too. Maybe you can kind of encourage it. That's all right. I'm right here. I don't think I really actually like knew what Advent was, other than it was like the 24 days preceding Christmas. That was just kind of what I didn't know why it was called that. Or even like, what does the, like the word Advent mean? The approach. Okay. The appearance. Yeah. So, but then one of the things you were saying was, which I just thought was interesting because I, I think about this or like, you know, bring it up a lot, but um, you're saying like, you know, it puts you off a little bit to have, you know, these like traditional things sort of get messed with, mm. so to speak. But then I was like, well, isn't that, like my immediate thought was like, isn't that exactly Jesus though? Like when he came down, I was just like, all right, I'm going to mess with all these traditions that you guys have. And, you know, and I'm always asking, you know, thinking about, like, you know, important to me to think that, like, you know, questioning fundamentalism is never, you know, questioning my faith. Hmm. And am I, are the fundamentals that, you know, people hold dearly, are they, are they right? Or, or are they necessary for like this day, you know, because I think a lot of traditions and, and fundamental things are more, more about making Christianity work for people in the, in the time that they're in. But I don't think that they're necessarily all the times inherent to like, oh, we have to do it this way because that's the way the Bible says. Is I think ninety five percent of the time I found it's like this is the way we're going to do things because we think this is what the Bible is saying. This is where we think the Holy Spirit is leading us, you know, and it's, you know, so I realized, I was just like, man, dude, like, Christians have reinvented things about Christianity, you know, a lot mm. throughout the history of it, so it's like, it's interesting to me because I, I, like, you know, we've talked about it too, or just the sort of, like, thinking back, you know, to the Christian traditions of, like, thousands, you know, of, you know, hundreds of, you know, during centuries. So, did you read Johnny Rashid's uh, blog post about the fundamentalism losing mm-hmm. it, losing your fundamentalism isn't losing your faith? No, I he actually just wrote about that this week, so it must be in the air. Uh, I think that fundamentalism it has a lot to do with that some of that transformation that you were talking about, Pat, from certainty to space for mystery, as opposed to um, embracing doubt as a totally destructive force against your propositional ideas about God and the Bible and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing that. And I would recommend his blog post and some of the links within. Um, Pete Enns 
is a guy that uh, teaches at Eastern University, and he's been talking about this for a while, and I appreciate his humility in the, in the, the podcast that Johnny links in his, in his blog post. I'm interested in fundamentally. I think sometimes it gets a bit of rap. <laughs> I said that, didn't I? Well, it's like the well, idea of fundamentally. Yeah. It wasn't just some people who were like on a board, and they were like, hey, let's get real strict, because that'll be intense and fun. Mm. They were coming from a place where, you know, they had things they were disgusted with. Mm. I think, yeah, I think it was the reaction to the kind of mainline Protestantism popular in the country where all the children know all the Bible stories and the adults know when to stand and when to sit during mm. the ceremony and that's it. Mm. Kind of a reaction against that. Well, oh, you can know the scriptures yourself as an individual and things can mm. be revealed to you and you can, God has a nature that you can count on and uh, it's understandable and apparent to individuals and that was all part of it, right? Yeah, and and I think that that initial spirit of reform that created the movement that that eventually got fundamentalized is was was spirit led. You know, I was like, absolutely, we needed people like that. But then when you when you want to um, defend that position and think, okay, we've arrived, as opposed to continue to create, that's when it, it just gets stagnant. You know, you have to be able to embrace the, the good from the past, leave the bad from the past behind, see the present moment in community with the Holy Spirit, discern what to do next. I'm reminded of the, um, for 70 years in Mexico, the country was ruled by the, um, the P- PRI, Partido Revolucionario Institucional. I can't. I can't talk in Spanish today. It's an institutionalized revolution. That's what it was. The PRI was the PR revolution. The institutionalized revolution party. It's like establishing the revolution for forever. And so it was a corrupt piece of crap government for seventy years, and it drove the peso through the roof in the eighties to get bailed out. You know, it was, it was a mess. And um, and I think that's, that's kind of what's happening, that's a political parable of what, what we do with, with fundamentalism is we might have this new sense of reform, this, this spirit of change, and when we want to hold on to it too tightly, it breaks. Yeah, it gets, um, it gets proud. And I think when it gets proud, it closes off and it doesn't, it gets lazy, but the fundamentals are like people use the word puritanical. It's a it's a preserve. What is that? What's that all about? Some of the, some of those Puritans had to. That, I was reading about I was reading about a couple days ago. The Puritans uh, valued women surprisingly higher than a lot of the people in their so it's in their like their neighbors. The way they courted. You know, the women had to the, 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 the woman had to consent to get married to the man that the family chose for them. That was kind of revolutionary at the time. Yeah, you know. And some of the thinkers that were shaping the 
um, the political structure of the United States, the, the Puritans had a heavy influence on that to really good ends. And um, I, I was I was hearing about this guy named Hooker. I think he was he, he was probably a descendant of the Puritans not too far after because it was pre-constitutional. But he's talking about the uh, the divorce of rights from their desired ends. Mm-hmm. If rights are the are the ends in themselves, mm-hmm. they are the ultimate good is the rights of the individual, as opposed to the rights of the individual to create mm-hmm. a, a godly society. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the rights are the only way that one can freely choose God in in society. And that's why you would have the rights. It has a pur- these rights have a purpose. And anyways, this guy's hooker. I didn't read it. I was hearing about it secondhand, but this is a total tangent. Puritan, cool guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, that's part of going back and, and discovering all these, all this, uh, all this Christian tradition. I wrote so much of it off. as like, ah. and some of it is, you know, there's no doubt. But uh, there's like, we're kind of the same. We've been like people have kind of been like people for a long time, yeah. you know. So, like you can you can see it. There there seems to me to be that like pro, that like trend, you know, of of, of, of of growing up. And when it when it starts to feel backward, and and uh, you know, I think that's when that's when the fundamentalism takes over, and it's and we start to head backward. And, and yeah, I'm with you on that. I think we gotta stop that. But we need to build our ourselves on Christ the solid need, rock. I need, I yeah, need that solid needs to be rock to stand yeah. on, man. Yeah, We're, we had a we had a big tree in here a couple weeks ago, and we had roots all out. You know, like I need I need the root to go down and hang on to something. Yeah. I think uh, something about Advent, you know, tend to highlight. You know, like I always think of the. Uh, so we're retelling the story usually many times over, which is great. Of um, Jesus being born into the world, shepherds and wise men, kids dressed up as the donkey. You know, it's, it's great. I love that. It's such a strange story, and just keep telling it over and over again. It's great. You should, you know, get the end of the story or whatever, and imagine the strange way God came into the world. Another part uh, that's very traditional to Advent is to recognize. Oh, we and we're still waiting. We're waiting now again for the full revelation of Jesus. The Bible seems to say, I don't know, that Jesus came to the world the first way in a very humble way, very sort of uh, unkanu, you know, like not known, kind of hidden, kind of in the shadows. But when God comes again, it will be much grander. All will know, all flesh shall see, all these things. Yeah. And, and in that, you know, and we're telling the story of the shepherds. It's like shepherds don't know what's going on. We know what's going on. Mm-hmm. We're privileged in this story, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a great, cool thing. Kind of imagine being a shepherd. Like, we're in the same thing. We, we don't know uh, what shall be revealed in the future or by what means. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the we shepherds. Be with God again. Yeah. yeah, but we but we are waiting that and then, like opening up the little door every day of the little advent calendar and getting that little tree and learning to wait. And learning just to maybe occupy your time on earth mm-hmm. humbly, you know, knowing that I don't have a full 
thing yet. Yeah, yeah totally. That but was, God's doing it anyway. I get to be a part, little part. That helped me with a with a question that I've been struggling with for a long time, which was, well, I'm a Christian, so now why do I keep doing bad things? You know, like I thought this was the end of the story. You know, but no, it's not. There's we're waiting for for it's begun, right? The, the kingdom of heaven is, is is it's begun. The work has begun. So it's we're not fully we're not fully there, and we're waiting. We're still waiting. You know, and I was. Um, in some of my uh, background, the idea was, well, if you if you accept Jesus in your heart and you're a Christian, and then it's all good from there, you know. And you just, you know, basic instructions before leaving Earth, you know. And there's some good stuff there. Again, I don't want to just dis- disparage it. That's an acronym for the Bible: yeah, basic <laughs> instructions before leaving Earth. That is awful. <laughs> Because because Jesus is coming to Earth to to do it will and it will be destroyed and may, be made new. Heaven and Earth will be happening like and in and Jesus. Heaven and humanity happen in the same place. In Jesus' second coming, the whole world and heaven are happening in the same place. It's like Jesus's dual nature happening on on a whole universe. Full scale. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, even like in Romans, I think it's Romans or somewhere, Paul says that the evil Paul. Paul says that even the creation itself is longing for the return to, for when Jesus comes and makes things right. Romans you know? eight. Yep. You ever see that? Like you ever like you ever see a cat get run over by a car? No. You haven't. I've seen it. I did too. I've seen it. You know. And like I watch it happen, and you see—I'm sorry—I won't get too descriptive, but you see like the death throes of the animal, and you're like, "That's not—that's not right. That's not the way it was supposed to be." And, and you know, like nature's beautiful. You go for a walk in the woods, and it's beautiful. And then a snake bites you, or you get less intense. You've been by a mosquito, and you're like, "Damn you!" You know, it's not right. It's not right. We're waiting. Even even the creation is waiting for this thing to come and make it right. Jesus is gonna come and make it right. Well, my favorite. That theology, like yeah. that, that theology, that story just totally. That like it informs the way I see everything now. Yeah, let me let me end with this line from my favorite Christmas song written by Over the Rhine, which has to do with what Scott's talking about. The. It's called White Horse, and it's bring me a white horse for Christmas. We'll ride him through the town, and it goes on and on. And, and it's singing to, to little baby Jesus. Hush now, baby. Uh, one day you're going to ride your white horse through the sky. And that's an image to the white horse that Jesus comes on in this big event right. at Revelation, the second advent. Like, yeah, this world is jacked up, the one that you're being born into. But hush, you're coming back, and you're going to be on a white horse, and you're going to make it all right. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.